the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thinking about health care these days? Well, you're not alone. And it seems that getting real information about the state of our medical system is tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said he's a doctor and he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. This is AM860, The Answer. And now, it's time for Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD, coming on you, coming at you on 860 AM, The Answer. And our website is, eight, is am860theanswer.com, am860theanswer.com. I think I got it right this time, Bill. All right. Okay. We're, we're making progress then. And we are an iHeart station, so you can pick us up on your smartphone anywhere, anytime. I'm on 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time every Sunday. So you can reach me anywhere in the world on the website if you can calculate that time standard and time zone. So we're here again, and I was going to talk about, because the wife's always bugging me about talking uh, about medical issues. And of course, she wants me to talk about some of the popular stuff like drinking eight glasses of water a day. But then this darn Ninth Circuit Court thing came up. And so I'm going to I'm going to backtrack from medical talk today. We'll we'll stick to legal talk since we talked about the Supreme Court last week. This would probably dovetail in with it nicer than jumping back into medical. And we'll talk about medical next week. So what the heck happened out here? Well, Washington State uh, judge said that the immigration ban that the Trump people, the order that the Trump had had put out, uh, was was not legal, and put a stay on it and remanded it up to the uh, or down to or over to the Ninth Circuit Court District, federal district court. Uh, they're based, I believe, in San Francisco, and they cover a number of the western states, including, uh, I think, Arizona, uh, Washington, Montana, Alaska, Idaho, and uh, Oregon. And you would think that this is just a, a small organization. Well, I, I looked at the name list for this uh, this district court, and there's a few thousand names on there of, of judges and lawyers. And they rotate around, and the reason they rotate the judges around uh, is so that everybody gets a fair and unbiased hearing. So if you've already heard something as a judge sitting in this court or in a number of courts, then when you come back in a second time, uh, there'll be a different panel of judges so that there is uh, uh, some objectivity and that the new judges are not tainted by what the previous judges had decided. So it, it, it's an interesting uh, setup that we have legally, and it, it, 
it's a lot of fun to watch this. And, and of course, it's upsetting to a lot of people because they feel very emotional about the decisions that are being made or not being made. And a lot of people feel that uh, that it's unfair for a president and unconstitutional for a president to to put out an order like this, which uh, in the minds of many people says that if you're a Muslim, you can't come in the country without being thoroughly vetted. And the state of Washington, on behalf of its citizens and its institutions, said, wait a minute, we have people that hold green cards. Now, a green card means that you're a landed uh, alien, that you have uh, additional rights from someone who just has a visa and is visiting, and that uh, you can remain in that status for X number of years, at which time you either have to apply for citizenship or go back home. And so a lot of people come into the country on uh, – school visas and then get a green card and they're studying at uh, University of Washington or they're working for the university or they're uh, doctors who have started the process and have a green card and intend to become citizens, but they went back to Syria or wherever to visit family and now they're stuck. And so it becomes a matter of money and uh, a smooth flow of business uh, that the state's very often are upset about and that they will sue the federal government or uh, take an action to federal court or to the Supreme Court if they can get up that high in order to block something that the executive branch or the legislative branch of our government has done. And so this turns into a money proposition as well as there are those in the in the right and left wings of our parties and our ideologies who have very strong emotional feelings about it, as well as lawyers who have very strong feelings about constitutional law and are experts in that. And so one of the big things that is upsetting the administration and those who feel that the Ninth Circuit Court was out of order and and banning this and saying, no, you can't do that, President Trump, was that they looked at what he said on the presidential uh, trail, not after he was elected, but during the, the, the run for the presidency, and that he talked about Muslims repeatedly and uh, made blanket statements which could be misinterpreted as uh, biased against any Muslim ever, anywhere. And, and this makes it tough because the court said, well, what's the, the intent of the order? And they look at the order from the president and uh, they say, wait a minute, this guy is anti-Muslim. And of course, the attorney for the White House said, wait a minute, that, that's not, a, you're outside of the four corners. The four corners are the building and the building, you're only supposed to look at what comes into the building and what has come into the building is the president's order and his reasoning for the order. And then you can look at the state of Washington's uh, uh, reasons for fighting this order and wanting it uh, overturned by the courts or made illegal by the courts, as it would be. So the president's people were arguing, wait a minute, you're, you're not asking the right questions here because you're already prejudiced by something that happened on the campaign trail, which doesn't have any bearing on this because people say things on the campaign trail to get elected. Plus, 
you're not supposed to look at that. You know, justice is supposed to be blind and, and not be able to see what's going on outside of the building. Only what's happening within the four corners of the building. And look at that and make a, a dispassionate uh, objective judgment as to whether or not this fits or does not fit into the laws of our land and the Constitution. So the words have come back to haunt him. And, of course, the courts are very, very, very testy and very sensitive about the First Amendment, which uh, is the Establishment Clause, which says that there's going to be an absolute separation between church and state. And the state attorney generals have been leading this fight against Trump's order on the behalf of many universities, hospitals, businesses, and residents harmed by it. And, of course, if there's any hint of uh, religious prejudice, well, then they're going to grab that, and that will become an argument. And that's going to be an argument that the president is not going to win, not the way that this is written at this point in time and not based upon what the Ninth Circuit Court decided based upon their own prejudices about whether or not Trump is anti-Muslim. So if you have a a person who's making anti-Muslim statements and then enacts an order that apparently is singling out Muslims, then the courts are going to say, wait a minute, you're anti-Muslim. <laughs> you, you're not going to get very far with that. That argument is going to fall short. So now we have to go back and see what the president and his people can do. Bill and I were talking before the show, and this order was written apparently in haste, in part because of pressure from those of us who voted for Trump to do something. And so it was flawed not that it was wrong, just that the way it was written was flawed. It was written so that people who were of minority religions within these Muslim countries that were being singled out, even though they didn't mention those countries specifically, would be allowed to come in as a special situation, as refugees from, from the battle zone. And, of course, this would be Christians and Jews if you're talking about Syria. Uh, there may be a few other minor religions, but that would be the the big mass of people who would be allowed in under the minority aspect of this ruling. And the court said, well, wait a minute, you can't allow Christians in who are being persecuted when there are Muslims who are being persecuted as well. ISIS is a Sunni sect, and uh, the uh, the ruling class of Syria are uh, Shias, and the Sunnis will kill the Shias. That's the big fight between Iran, the Persians, and the Arab world. Is Iran's predominantly Shia, and the Arab world is predominantly Sunni. And so bad blood predates any of this religious stuff, but the Persians and the Arabs have been at it for thousands of years, and this just adds to it. So what does the president need to do now? Now, the strategy would be if you wrote quickly a document that you thought may not stand up in, in court because it encroaches on the First Amendment, the Establishment Clause of, of separation of church and state, uh, then 
you might want to go ahead and, and, and let it go out and manipulate the situation so that it would be heard in the Ninth Circuit Court, which is on the West Coast and generally more liberal than the rest of the courts, and knowing that that may preclude the Ninth Circuit from hearing further arguments if there's a new order placed out, it may go to a more conservative district like our area, the 12th, or Denver, which I think is the 10th. I think that's where Gorsuch comes from. So there's a, a bunch of other venues and circuit courts, federal circuit courts, that this could go through with a rewritten order that's tighter, that says people with green cards are exempt from this order, uh, that uh, that this is not only for minorities who are being persecuted, religious minorities, but also uh, religious majorities who are being persecuted since I think the majority of Syria are Sunnis uh, and ISIS is going after some of the moderate Sunnis as well. So we got a big mess here and Bill and I were talking before the show and I think that what we need really is a constitutional amendment to sort this out a little bit better because if we allow people to come in with a with a blindfold on as to what their religion is and we have a predominantly Muslim population in two or three or four generations, then the Constitution will be gone because the basic tenets of the Constitution are 180 degrees away from the basic tenets of Islam, which is that ultimately everything that happens is God's will and, and we are following God's law. And of course, as children of, of the Greeks and the Greek theology and philosophy and way of life, we believe that we make the decisions. Now, our belief in God may influence those decisions. Uh, we've talked about this a lot in the past, and of course that changes from time to time. But basically, we believe that we have free will. And one of the big problems with Islam, something that they've struggled with over and over and over again, is free will. Do we have free will? A Muslim will say, well, if it's ultimately in God's hands, then I really don't have free will. So we got a big problem. Now, what about the this this order and this decision by the uh, Ninth Circuit Court? Will this go further? Will they appeal this to the Supreme Court, work its way up? Well, here's the problem right now with the Supreme Court. If it would get there, and I'm not sure that it would even get there, they probably would refuse to hear it, which means that the lower court's ruling would stand. So we have a 4-4 split on the court right now because Scalia is dead and we don't have a replacement yet. Gorsuch has to go through the whole process and be vetted by the Senate and then approved. And now the Democrats have a real reason to fight his approval because once he gets on the court, then another order similar to this, perhaps a little better written uh, and a, a little bit more tentative to uh, the constitutional law could work its way up to the Supreme Court, and then it would be a 5-4 court on the conservative side. So the Democrats are going to fight like crazy to keep Gorsuch from being appointed to the Supreme Court until this issue is put to rest and their hope and belief in the lower courts. And, and a lot of legal experts say that this will not get up to the Supreme Court. 
uh, that it's a slim chance that the court will hear it. The court does not like to hear emergency situations like this. And especially if a lower court said they didn't see the uh, imminent danger that the White House sees. Uh, of course, that's not really their domain. They're not in the business of intelligence. Uh, that's not what lawyers in the in the federal system do. And so that sticks in the craw of the conservatives and the conservatives are going to say, what do you know about the security of the country? When have you attended any national security council meetings? When have you worked for the NSA or the CIA or military intelligence? So there's the rub there, but the Supreme court is looking at its lower court and saying, well, on the merits of it, which didn't have anything to do really with, whether or not there was imminent danger, but with the constitutionality of the First Amendment being challenged, uh, we don't see any reason to hear it. So it's unlikely that it'll get up to the Supreme Court as it is written now. But even if it did right now, there'd be a 4-4 split, which means that the lower court's ruling would still be upheld. So it's a little bit of a chess game, a legal chess game. And I like to see these guys uh, working back and forth. The president has a lot of resources at his command, but so do the states. 15 or 20 states have already banned together to fight this order because they're going to lose money. They're going to lose power. They're going to lose voting seats in, in the House of representatives, and they don't want that. They want these people with green cards to come back in to continue doing their work or going to school, making money, uh, practicing medicine, whatever it is, and they want them to become citizens so that they can increase their voter base. So there's a lot of considerations here. And a lot of people don't think it looks good for for Trump getting it through the, through the courts, and that's probably... Uh, uh, fairly accurate, and even Trump said, we may have to rewrite it. We're considering rewriting it. Now, California Attorney General Xavier Becerra, whose office joined 16 other states in the District of Columbia in urging the U.S. Ninth Circuit Court to reject President Trump's appeal, said, while today's ruling may not mark the end of our fight, its decision to preserve the suspension of the Trump administration's travel ban means that our families and businesses and our state institutions and universities can, can continue forward without harmful disruption. And in law, when you say that there's been a harm done on the civil side, it's almost always over money. You know, you've harmed me, you've hurt my ability to work and, and earn a living. And so because of my injury to my neck, I'm going to sue you for lost wages that I anticipated I would have had in the future. I don't know if there is a way to rewrite this, to, to placate these folks and make them happy, because there are lawyers in the mix who are looking at it strictly from a constitutional point of view, and they don't care about the money. They're, they're, priests and monks, and they're, they're looking just at the law, professors and members of the court and so on and so forth, and saying that the argument that Trump made was contrary to the fundamental structure of our constitutional democracy. 
You say, well, how the heck can that be? Can't the president make decisions on his own without having the courts oversee every one of them? Yes and no. You know, the Establishment Clause, the First Amendment, which was written by James Madison, the, the ten, first ten amendments to the Constitution are called the Bill of Rights, and the father of that is known as uh, James Mason, who was a big figure in the Virginia political scene back at the time of the writing of the Constitution. And several of the states said that they would not join the Union of the colonies, the states, whatever they were at that time, said they would not join the Union in 1789 unless there was a commitment from Congress and the president that a Bill of Rights would be written and attached. And so they were, and the first and, and probably the most important, especially to the courts, is the Establishment uh, Clause, which says that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. Well, what does this mean? Well, for Thomas Jefferson, he said it's the wall of separation. It's that wall that keeps the church and the state apart. And we have to ask ourselves, why were these guys so upset about this, and what was their big deal? Well, they remembered, not that they were living at the time, but they remembered why their families came here, a lot of them, and it was because of religious persecution. Now, we think of religious persecution of being, if you're a Catholic and uh, the Protestants have got control of you in Northern Ireland, they're going to beat the crap out of you. But for these guys, religious persecution took on uh, a more um, um, systematic type of persecution, which was a, a government going after a, an entire subsection of the culture or the people or the population who were not of their religion. And this is exactly what happened with Cromwell and the Puritans and the Roundheads in the English Civil War in the 1640s and 50s. And this was precipitated by an executive order from the king that he wanted to spend more money to carry on a war with France. And Parliament said, which was predominantly controlled by uh, the, the Cromwell people and their belief that the crown was probably not all that relevant anyway and they should get rid of them, they said, okay, well, we'll give you this amount of money, but no more. And then the king came back and said, I want more money. And, the, and Parliament said, no, we told you we're not giving you any more. And he said, well, I have the authority from God to make uh, commands of you. And they said, no, you don't. And so you had a fight. And the fight uh, became a civil war with the loyalists, those who were loyal to the crown and who were predominantly Anglicans. We call them Episcopals over here. You know, that's Catholic light. That's mass with tea and crumpets. They said, we're with the king and we believe that the only way that our country can last is with a strong king. And Cromwell and Roundhead said, we think the king is irrelevant because he and is an heir because he's fighting the, the parliament, which is the will of the people. And they actually hung, I forget if it was, uh, I think it was Charles I that they hung. The Roundheads hung him. The, uh, the Cromwell people hung him. And you can go to London and see the exact spot where they put him outside of the window, uh, right near Trafalgar Square on a platform and hunging him in front of hundreds of thousands of people. 
So there was a devastating civil war, and in the civil war, the Cromwell people stomped on anybody who wasn't of their religious belief, and they went in and they completely destroyed Ireland for hundreds of years. And, of course, Cromwell is still a, a hated name in Ireland, even today, among the Catholic Irish. And if you want to get them upset, just tell them you're on Cromwell's side. And these religious wars were not just in, in the British Empire. They were all over Europe. You know, there were wars going on on religious basis. And so people came to the Americas saying, we don't want to be in these wars. The Puritans that came here had left England and gone to the Netherlands because they were persecuted by the new government. And then they finally came over here in 1621, which was before the Civil War. And then we had Catholics coming to Maryland and all these people. And so one of the big deals that we have uh, in in our country is that we will not allow religion to come into the workings of government. Now, there have been some different uh, interpretations of this law by the courts over the year, and the courts have upheld a state's reimbursement to parents of parochial school, that's Catholic and Lutheran school children, for the cost of busing their kids to religious schools. And the court reasoned that the taxpayer funds were permissible because they went to the children, parents, and not to the religious schools. But the court also said, in the word of Jefferson, the cause against establishment establishment of religion by law was intended to erect a wall of separation between church and state. So this comes up over and over. In Everson versus Board of Education in 1947, the establishment of religion clause of the First Amendment means at least this, neither a state nor the federal government can set up a church. And the reason that the states are now included is because of the 14th Amendment that came in right after the Civil War which applied the federal laws to the states as long as they uh, were not in, in contradiction with local things like traffic laws. And even that's gone the, the way now. The, your driver's license and the, the, the laws within all the states for driving, they're all the same now. So neither can force nor influence a person to go to or to remain away from church against his will or force him to profess a belief or disbelief in any religion. And so the court said that the establishment clause will be upheld, and it'll be upheld because this is what it means, and you can't punish any people for their religious beliefs or for their church attendance or non-attendance. So even if that church is preaching... Uh, un-American and anti-American rhetoric to its parishioners, whether it's a temple or a synagogue or a mosque or a church or a cathedral, if, if they're doing that within the church, and that's an established religion recognized by us, the people of the United States, then we can't interfere with the religious beliefs of those people. When can we interfere? Well, if you start plotting to overthrow the, the government of the United States or to, or to kill people, then yes, we can interfere, but we cannot interfere on the basis of religion. That's the problem, see. We can interfere on the basis of uh, harm to the country and a threat to our Constitution, but that takes on a very different uh, uh, atmosphere of how you approach this problem and how you write these orders. Yes, we understand that the intent is to keep bad people out, 
but is the intent, and this was a problem with the Ninth Circuit Court with, with Trump's order, is, is this in any way referring to the religious beliefs of these people? We can't do that. The courts will not let that come through. And you say, well, can't we outlaw Islam? No, it's a religion. It's an established religion, and there's uh, uh, 13 or 14, 1,500 years of this religion being in place, and it's embraced by a billion people around the world. And so it, it, it cannot be viewed as anything other than a religion. Now, when does a religion become, as, a, as an entity, become a threat to the, to the state? Well, when it tries to force its will upon the state, well, then you get into, well, Trump's a Christian. Is he trying to force his Christian beliefs and his Christian will onto the state? And that's what they're going to argue. They're going to say yes. What about school prayer? Well, New York at one time in 1962, back before they came so left-wing, they composed and required a prayer to begin the school day. Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence upon thee, and we beg thy blessings upon us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. The state's uh, Justice Black held petitioners argue that the state's use of the region's prayer and its school system breaches the constitutional wall of separation of church and state. And we agree. We think that the Constitution prohibits against any law respecting an establishment of religion. So if you if you have a prayer to Almighty God, no matter how nebulous it is, then you have religion being interjected into a state situation. That, of course, that doesn't hold for private and parochial schools because they're not state schools, they're not public schools. And we have seen a flight of, of parents and children from public to private schools and the growth of the homeschooling, which is actually quite, uh, quite advanced. I was surprised when I investigated that. And there have been other decisions in 1963. The Abington School District versus Shemp, Pennsylvania law, declared that at least 10 verses from the Bible shall be read without comment at the beginning of each public school day. And at Abington High, the verses were read over the loudspeaker and were then followed by the recitation of the Lord's Prayer, during which the students stood and repeated the prayer in unison. Students who did not want to participate could leave the room. The court asked what the purpose and primary effect of the policies were and found it unconstitutional. The justices reasoned that the state passed the law to promote religion, and the effect was to coerce students to participate in religion. Now, a majority of Americans have never approved of this decision, and the country is still, at least the majority, is still in favor of allowing portions of the Bible to be read and to saying prayers in school to be allowed. And that makes it tough. And there's a num number of other uh, rulings from the Supreme Court. There's the Lemon Test, and the lemon test has three parts, and the lemon test refers to Lemon versus Kurtzman from 1971. 
Does a program at issue have a secular legislative purpose, secular non-religious? Is the primary effect to inhibit or advance religion? And does the legislation foster an excessive government entanglement with religion? So it, it's, a, it's a tough test that you have to meet if you want to get your agenda through the Supreme Court and it has any, any tinge of religion in it. So the Trump people have got their work set out for them to rewrite this and I, I think that they're capable of coming up with an order that is untainted with any religious references. But they're going to have to also show that these countries that they want to ban people from are where the terrorists are training. And so it's an entangled mess because all these countries are predominantly Muslim. It's fascinating. Now, when I come back, I'm going to have a question for you and I want an answer. And I want multiple answers. And I'll give you the question now so you can think about it before the break. Do you think that the separation of church and state has gone too far? Do you think the separation of church and state has gone too far in the United States? And we are at 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600. I'm going to grab a cup of Joe and I'll be right back. Bill, you're on your own. With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. U.S. Strategic Command says it detected and tracked what it assessed was a medium or intermediate-range ballistic missile test-fired by North Korea this weekend. says the missile was not an ICBM and could not threaten North America. Air traffic resuming at Hamburg Airport in Germany after the airport was evacuated and all flights halted for several hours. More than 50 people complained of breathing problems, burning eyes, and nausea from fumes, the cause not known. Police went house to house this morning in the northern Greek city of Thessaloniki, ringing bells and knocking on doors to advise people living there to get out because a World War II bomb was found and it needed to be defused. And the latest data shows the leading country for requests for asylum in the U.S. last year was Venezuela, where the country's middle class is trying to flee a crashing oil-dependent economy. This is SRN News. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full-service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of can care, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Dr. Bill for West Coast Radiology. Our good friends at West Coast Radiology offer convenient and comprehensive x-ray diagnostics, including open MRI, CT scan, CT PET, mammography, and ultrasound. With state-of-the-art equipment and four convenient locations, you're assured of friendly, comprehensive care. Most insurance is accepted and competitive self-pay rates, plus Saturday appointments. Call West Coast Radiology at 727-771-2795. That's 727-771-2795. What if you could have an experience of a lifetime this year? Something that goes beyond mundane. It's not a vacation. It's an opportunity you won't soon forget. 
A timely and important expedition to the land of Israel awaits you. Make plans now for the Stand with Israel tour happening this fall. Join Dennis Prager and Mike Gallagher on a nine-day trip to Israel that will offer you first-hand insight into Israel's fascinating past and promising future. We'll introduce you to the geopolitical, economic, and security dynamics of a truly remarkable nation. Get a behind-the-scenes view into many of the places you've read and heard about all during Jerusalem's 50th year anniversary. The Western Wall, Modern Tel Aviv, the Dead Sea, and much more with expert guides and important lectures at key sites surrounded in the comfort and safety of first-class accommodations. Look forward to something special this year. Stand with Israel. For trip details, visit StandWithIsraelTour.com. StandWithIsraelTour.com. Do you have a cracked or broken windshield and full coverage insurance? Do you want a new windshield at no charge and up to $100 cash back on the spot for your damaged windshield? Call Autoglass America today at 813-96-GLASS. They work for you, not your insurance company. 813-96-GLASS. 813-96-GLASS. We turn your broken glass into cold, hard cash. Autoglass America. Cutty Bone for the morning, otherwise mostly sunny today with a high of 78. Then tonight, clear with patchy fog toward morning, low 62. Patchy fog will continue into the morning tomorrow, otherwise, it will be a partly sunny day with a high 77, and at night, becoming mostly cloudy with a low 61. Partial sunshine Tuesday, high again 77. That's your IQ with a forecast. I'm Kevin Baxter for AM860 The Answer. And I'm back. That was the spin doctors and Little Miss, Little Miss, Little Miss can't be wrong. So we're sending that out to the Ninth uh, Circuit Court on behalf of Dr. Bill and all of his people here in the Tampa Bay area. And we're talking about the order that was uh, overturned by the Ninth District Court that President Trump had issued placing bans on certain peoples from certain countries and the religious implications of it and why the courts are so uh, sensitive about this and making such a big deal out of it. Uh, the, the challenge, of course, was does this cross the lines of separation of church and state and the way that the order was written, and I have it here. Let me see if I can find that on my desk. The order is interesting in that it, it does allow people who are of minority religions from these countries or from countries where there is persecution to come in uh, as refugees while, while it does not allow majority religious people to come in per se. Because they mention minority religion, then they've thrown it into the First Amendment, and that mix is going to be a mess for the Trump people. So they'll have to re- You can't discriminate on the basis of religion, and that's their 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 big uh, their big push. Now, on the other side of the coin, there's no precedent for courts looking to a, po- a politician's statements before he or she took office, and this was referenced by uh, the lower court. And this is going to be a, a problem for the court if it 
is pushed up to the Supreme Court level, and the Supreme Court says, well, we don't want to hear it. And so the Trump people will say, we're not asking you to hear the whole order. We're asking you to make a decision as to whether or not the lower court was appropriate in citing Trump's rhetoric while he was on the campaign trail, which sounded very anti-Muslim, anti-Islamic. And the argument that his lawyers made on one part of the order was that the court could only consider the four corners, what was inside the building. They couldn't look at, and they were not supposed to look at, what was said before he was president. After he was president, the policies and the the speeches and the procedures that he had uh, conducted and enacted or attempted to enact were all that they could look at. Justice is supposed to be blind. So you take off the blinds when you get into the courtroom. So the lawyer, the judges, the, the jurists, the panelists, they are supposed to keep their blinders on until they get inside the building. They're not supposed to listen to the rhetoric of a campaign. They're not supposed to read the rhetoric of the campaign. They're not supposed to make any judgments based upon the rhetoric of the campaign. But one of the questions that one of the judges asked him is, or asked their lawyer is, well, didn't Mr. Trump make anti-Muslim statements when he was on the campaign trail? And and the lawyer for the, the White House said, you can't look at that. You're not supposed to look at that. That's not in the within the bounds of the court. So there are some points on the side of Trump and his people to say that this was uh, an unprecedented and basically uh, an illegal ruling. Now, there are precedents for ignoring what's said on the campaign trail, and there are precedents who have done things that you would think the Supreme Court would would rule against and they would follow, and there have been things that the Supreme Court has ruled against, but the presidents have not followed. Andrew Jackson, while Congress was out, ended the federal bank charter. Well, it's not his place. It wasn't his place. That's a, that's a legislative act, and the Supreme Court said that's a legislative act. You can't do that, Mr. President, and he said, does the Supreme Court have an army? I do. That was President Andrew Jackson who started the the democratic populism that we enjoy today. Lincoln did the same thing during the Civil War. He suspended the writ of habeas corpus because he wanted to hang on to people that he considered uh, uh, terrorists and spies for the Confederacy. And the court said, you can't do that. And President Woodrow Wilson, he started arresting all the Germans he could during World War One. And, of course, that wasn't right either, and the courts eventually ruled against him, but by that time the war was over. And so we've seen a number of things. I mean, we even had Franklin Roosevelt and the New Deal. He attempted to change the number of the Supreme Court from 9 to 11 or 12 so he could get more of his people on, so he'd get more favorable rulings. And the Constitution is very clear that the decision as to how many judges there are on the Supreme Court lies with Congress, not with the president, and Congress defeated it. And a lot of his policies and his laws that were enacted during the Great Depression were overturned by the court eventually. So there are sound policy reasons for ignoring campaign rhetoric. First of all, 
half of what's said on the campaign trail is BS. Campaign promises are often insincere, insincere, and they're designed to get our votes. They may be ways of setting the attitude towards national policy and goals, anticipating that win or lose, you're going to have some input on that. And so there's a lot that the Supreme Court would have to take up if this did work its way up to it, which in its present state, I don't think that it will. An oral argument that judges asked if Trump would ban travel from all majority Muslim countries. The question could be reversed. If the plaintiffs cast Trump's views of immigration as impermissible, by this reasoning, he can't take the otherwise clearly legal action of restricting immigrants from any of the world's 50-odd Muslim countries. This would mean that immigration systems, as created by Congress, which depend on broad executive discretions, will have essentially been destroyed. So what the courts would, at least in theory, have the ability to do with this is strike down anything that Congress has done regarding immigration, which the left would love since what they want is anarchy and open borders. Anarchy for those of us who go to work, and of course, like in the Animal Farm of 1980, or the, it was Animal Farm, I think, that was the book where the animals overthrew the farmer, but the pigs got control, and so they moved into the farmer's house and of course, they led a better lifestyle than the rest of the animals on the farm, which, by the way, became a communist situation with a fascist dictator. Great book, great book. And so my question to you is, do you think that this was fair, what the court did? Do you think that what Trump did was fair or unfair? Give me a call. I'm at 877-969-8600, 877-969-8600. I'll tell you that there are a lot of people in the legal community that agree with the court. They think that the Constitution has to take precedent over anything else. And we have a set of laws which have met the test for the most part. And will this overthrow the acts of Congress? Hard to say. Hard to say. So the Establishment Clause, <clears throat> which was pushed through by Congressman James Madison in 1789, and he got this from the discussions that he had with members of the Constitutional Convention and James Mason and different people, and the Establishment Clause says that the government can't be involved in the religious beliefs of the people and vice versa. The second half of the Establishment Clause uh, prohibits the government per from preferring one religion over another. So Trump's going to have to show that his order is not showing preference for one religion over another. And you say, well, these people aren't even within the boundaries of the United States. How can... We extend our constitutional law to countries as far away as Syria and uh, the Sudan and 
Libya and so on and so forth. The question is not that we are extending our law to them. What we're saying is that once they enter one of our consulate offices and apply for a visa or a passport or in our day, in this day of electronic uh, interactions, once they enter a request or mail a request in, then they fall under the purview of our courts and our laws. And you say, well, why don't they appear in person? Well, you know, for, for uh, some countries, you're supposed to appear in person. We're talking about taking a trip to China, and the Chinese government says that you have to show up in person or you have to have a representative. So you can have a representative, and a lot of the consular offices are doing that. And so once you do that, then you fall into the purview of the United States, and it's uh, you're within the protection of its laws, so to speak, as it applies to coming here on a visa or a passport or whatever. Well, here's the problem, and this is something that the Trump administration is looking at. They're saying, who represents these folks, and where did they get their visa? Where did they get their passport? Not their visa, but their passport. We know that a number of countries have very poor, very lax systems for uh, the way that they hand out their passports. We know there's a lot of counterfeit passports, and ISIS even got hold of a, a Syrian government printing machine so they can make passports for their soldiers to leave the country. So if, if you were uh, um, an Omani resident and you went and fought in Syria for ISIS, you didn't have a Syrian passport. If you had an Omani passport or you didn't have any passport at all, then you'd have a hard time getting into another country. But if you forge a passport, a Syrian passport, and you're a Syrian citizen, according to the passport, and you want to leave the country and come to the United States, well, you know, you get in the queue and you say that you're having hardships and uh, there's minimal vetting of these folks because of the numbers and the lack of uh, personnel as well as the laxity of the Obama administration over the past uh, eight years. And so people who are actually terrorists and not even Syrians can slip into our country to cause mayhem. Incidentally, if we're going to look at it constitutionally, they're Muslims. That doesn't mean all Muslims are bad. But what it does mean is that if we don't write these orders very, very carefully and specifically, then that appearance of the government encroaching into uh, religion is going to be within the order, and it'll be denied by the courts. This limitation is placed upon the, the Congress, and it prevents it from passing legislation that would respect or acknowledge an establishment of religion of any kind. So it's, it's a tough situation that the president is taking on. Now, the, the reasons, as I said earlier, because of the, uh, the, the religious wars that had raged in Europe since Martin Luther had nailed his 99, or the protestations, I guess, to the, to the cathedral door, 
And by the way, Martin Luther, as far as I know, never never was excommunicated and never left Catholicism. And as far as I know, the Anglican Church is still part of the Catholic Church. They just uh, don't believe that the Pope has control over their aspects of their laws. Now, Alexander Hamilton, <clears throat> the genius of the of the founding fathers, argued that a Bill of Rights was unnecessary, but he felt that the popular democracy was not as important as the federal government. And, of course, this got all the, all the Democratic Republicans upset. Uh, the argument by Hamilton was that the Constitution granted limited powers to the federal government, and it did not grant the new government the power to abuse the rights that would be secured by a Bill of Rights. So he said, we don't need a Bill of Rights because you can't do this anyway. Well, the lawyers, I'm sure back then, were saying, dude, dude, hey, hold it a minute here. This will be a big mess. We'll have to institute some guidelines for the courts and for the Congress and the president. Or we're going to be in a civil war in short order. And people will be tearing up the Constitution and the interpretation of it will be... Uh, all across the board, and even even with very limited um, discussions and narrow rulings by the courts, we're still all over the board on it. We're still in disagreement and fighting uh, about it, as, as evidenced by this decision by the Ninth Circuit Court. The president's people are going to have to go back and rewrite this. A number of religions were concerned at the time of the writing of this. The Virginia Baptists didn't want this. They had, they had suffered discrimination prior to the disestablishment of the Anglican Church in 1786. Virginia was predominantly Anglican at that time. And there were a number of things that were going on then as are going on now. The Supreme Court in 1899 considered the question of financial assistance to religious organizations because the federal government had funded a hospital operated by a Roman Catholic institution. In that situation, the court ruled that the funding was a, two, a secular organization, the hospital, and therefore it was okay. This is probably reversed by a later ruling, but... Uh, there's a lot of case law, and it goes back and forth. And, for instance, the religious displays. Remember a few years ago, I think it was in Mississippi, a uh, judge tacked up the Ten Commandments in the courthouse building. It had not been there before, and the Supreme Court said, no, you can't do that. And the the plaintiff said, well, wait a minute. You got this, this monument with the Ten Commandments on it out there and on the state lawn or wherever. And they said, yeah, but that's been there for a long time, and it is, it is viewed as, as a secular monument and not as a religious monument. And that's, that's why we're striking down and saying you cannot put up Ten Commandments in your courthouse, but if there's something that's been there for eons, I mean, the, the courts can't say take the tablets of the Ten Commandments and break them up. That's not their, their domain. 
but I think you see the, the difference there. So we got a mishmash here. It's going to be fun to see how this fight goes on. I think that the Trump people are probably shrewder than, than, than we think, uh, than a lot of the left thinks. I think that they're, I think that's why the left's so upset because this guy's no dummy. He'll surround himself with good people who can uh, write these arguments, and I think this is in part gamesmanship. I don't think it's over. It's not over. So we'll be okay, and I'm glad you guys were here. This is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. Billy Boy, I'm gone. Well, it's a wonderful day in the neighborhood. <laughs> Won't you join me for the Burchard Galleries, Antiques, Fine Art, and... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.